Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Good morning, Jason. I am doing great. I hope you are. I'm doing fantastic, Bill, and I'm excited for the show today. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got to, of course, get into some asset protection. we got to remind people about a seminar coming up uh, very shortly on Wednesday. Oh, that's right. We do have a seminar next uh, yeah, Wednesday, th- don't we? Bill, you got to show up there. It's it, uh, it's not much of a seminar <laughs> if you're not there and you don't know about well, it. Well, you know, yeah, I, they come around every month, so I don't Really, it's not top of mind necessarily. It's like, oh yeah, I got to go over there and take, take care of that today. Uh, but before we get into that, we we we're stepping into the wayback machine. Is that right, Bill? Uh, well, that's what I wanted to do. I uh, I thought it, and and it actually makes a point. And there's some folks who know this about me, uh, but, but very few. But um, I, and there are a lot of my listeners, I think, who uh, may very well relate. Uh, to some of the things that I will talk about. Um, and, and I want to talk about my early childhood for a little while, okay? And, and I must admit, it, in some ways, it was idyllic. I had wonderful parents and uh, a wonderful home and a lot of support, if you will. Now, when I say young, I basically mean from the time I was born until I was eight or nine years old. So I'm talking real young. (laughs) But the thing about it is uh, you uh, can relate, I think, to how much the the world has changed since then. Uh, I mean, truthfully, um, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. And families don't talk about this enough, truthfully. But there's a point. There's a method to my madness. <laughs> so, um, but the bottom line is I grew up in a town in North Carolina uh, called Kannapolis. It's still there. It's a wonderful place to live and work. Uh, it's um, very close to Charlotte, about 30 miles from Charlotte, and right next door to the city of Concord. Uh, and Concord is... Um, a very, very high growth area. In fact, it's uh, uh, much like Cary is to Raleigh. Uh, it's been uh, uh, one of the fastest growing areas uh, in the state of North Carolina. Um, that, now, I'm not talking Kannapolis. I'm talking Concord, which is right next door. Now, Kannapolis was, back then, a true mill town. And by mill town... Uh, Cannon Mills was the textile company, and Cannon Mills actually owned the entire town. They Cannon Mills owned uh, by you know this is what we mean by mill town. Okay, a lot of folks don't r- realize because they don't really exist anymore in the United States, but uh, or at least I'm not aware of it. You know, you might hear about uh, coal mining towns and and other kinds of industrial towns like that. And I think they do exist to some degree, but they've pretty much gone away. But what do I mean? Cannon Mills actually not only owned the mill itself, which was huge. In fact, it was the largest textile mill in the world by far back then. It was the, and if you go back in time, Cannon Mills was in fact the largest employer in North Carolina. 
uh, people were bused in from about six counties surrounding um, where Kannapolis, and Kannapolis was on the edge of Cabarrus and Rowan counties, more in Cabarrus than Rowan, but both, both counties. And so the mill owned all of downtown, and if you took a shot at the center of downtown out a couple miles, Cannon Mills owned everything. They owned all the houses. Um, they also uh, provided um, uh, the water. They provided the, the electricity. They had an electric company, a water company, all part of, of uh, Cannon Mills. They uh, um, did uh, – so they provided housing for the people who worked in the mill, or they provided housing for a lot of the folks who worked in the mill. Uh, and they also supported things. They, they, uh, the Kannapolis Police Department were actually deputy sheriffs of Cabarrus County, uh, uh, who, and they were paid. Uh, in other words, Cannon Mills actually paid for the sheriff to have a department in Kannapolis. And Kannapolis was the largest unincorporated area <laughs> in the United States at the time. So it was a pretty large place, but it wasn't truthfully a city. It was just simply owned by Cannon Mills. But the, but the, the reason I want to take folks back in time a little bit is because uh, things were really, really very different. Okay, so... We, we lived in a house um, that was really right at the edge of downtown Kannapolis. It was, it was a mill house, so it was owned by the mill and rented uh, to us uh, by the mill, even though uh, my dad did not work for the mill. He was one of the unusual ones, if you, <laughs> if you will. But we had a very nice, pleasant house with a backyard that was fenced in and and all that good stuff. Um, uh, now, uh, the you know back then, uh, Kannapolis also this will surprise some folks had the largest YMCA in the world. Um, it was a huge Y. It had an Olympic sized swimming pool. Uh, <laughs> it had a big bowling alley with about ten or twelve lanes. It had uh, uh, places to play ping pong and shoot pool and and had ex had a big health club uh, and all of that good stuff. Well, the cost of membership of the YMCA uh, f for me was $1 per year. Okay, $1 per year to join the Y. It's gone up a little bit since then. Yeah. Now, you have to understand, at that time, our our family had one motor vehicle, uh, and we were very, very lucky to have that. In other words, my dad made good money uh, for back then. Uh, now, back then, you have to understand that a good year's salary was less than $10,000 for someone who was doing extremely well. Okay, so you have to put that in perspective. Uh, we had one telephone. Uh, and it was a rotary dial telephone. You probably don't know what that is. No, you know, uh, but you spend a little. That's uh, right. You uh, might see it in an antique store somewhere <laughs> on the movies or something <laughs> like that. Um, uh, but you know, the the uh, uh, it it had a um, 
it was connect the head handset was connected to the phone so if you know uh in later years they had uh you know, twenty foot extensions for the, for that, but uh, back then they did not. Uh, and uh, we were on a party line. That means if you picked up the phone, uh, you didn't necessarily get a dial tone. You might have uh, been, uh, you might have heard your neighbor who was on the phone because there were two other homes that were connected to to our our telephone. And of course, uh, you had to be very respectful of other folks. And if they were on the phone, you had to, you know, hang up and wait and try again later. (laughs) Very different. Well, uh, the other thing, uh, back then, um, for me, uh, I had no clue. I mean, I just, I had no clue that, that there uh, were truthfully religions other than being Christian. The only question was which church did you go to? We went to the Presbyterian Church, but some of my friends uh, might have gone to the Methodist Church or the Lutheran Church, and particularly the Baptist Church. Okay, because lots and lots of Baptists in North Carolina. But uh, uh, you know, we we didn't. There was no. Uh, you know, I can look back on it. Back then, I had no clue. But there was no Jewish synagogue, even in the entire county. Um, you know, so you know the likelihood for a young person to even know a, uh, someone of the Jewish faith was almost zero. Uh, there was um, oh, there was one cat, small Catholic church that I did not know existed, uh, and there's still a small Catholic church uh, there. Uh, but the bottom line is, you know, it was um, something that that we uh, were not aware of as, as young kids uh, for the most part. And that was for the whole county, uh, one small Catholic church for the entire county of Cabarrus. And, and so um, uh, the bottom line is it was like, you, you know, when you all talked about faith, it was – it had nothing to do with different religions. It was which denomination <laughs> were you, and that was it. So, and and so the the question wasn't whether you were going to church on Sunday. It was which church were you going to, <laughs> and uh, so those kind of things. Uh, were important because that's the way we grew up. That was our formative years. Now, on uh, Saturday mornings, uh, my mother would send the four of us to the movie theater. And fortunately for us, we were close to downtown, so the movie theater was only about two blocks away, and she would let all four of us walk together to go to the movie theater. Guess how much you think it might have cost us back then? Oh boy, uh, quarter. You're well. Actually, you're wrong. Okay. Uh, it was fifteen cents. Fifteen to oh, go to the right. movie, uh, and my mother would give a quarter to each of us, and it would cost fifteen cents to get in, and a nickel for a coke, and a nickel for what I would always get a baby Ruth. I loved baby Ruths. Okay, <laughs> and the baby Ruths back then were a whole lot bigger than they are today. <laughs> For what it's worth, okay. Uh, so the but the bottom line is, I could go uh, and did go to the movie theater every Saturday, and the total cost for 
me was 25 cents. So you think about that. You know, what does it cost to go to a movie theater today? Well, you can probably tell me better. Do you ever go to the movie theater? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, how much does it cost for one person to go to the movie theater today? And you're talking for admission, 10 or 12 bucks is, is probably the standard. Well, what if you want popcorn and a Coke? Oh, boy. that's You're probably adding on another 15 bucks. Well, right that's I, I've seen that, too. Now, I'm more likely to go to a discount theater, but <laughs> <laughs> and I get a senior discount even yeah, you know, when I go the to good the life, regular theater. But uh, even so, um, you, you know, if you if you wanted to take a girl out on a date, or if you wanted to take your wife, you know, uh, it, it uh, it's not it's not cheap. You know, you're probably talking on the minimum side, uh, twenty five dollars a person. Now, you might be able to do it for less than that, but I, I'd say it's getting more difficult to do. And so. The, the whole point that I'm really coming to, other than to try to give folks a little bit about my background and where I came from and, and um, you know, the things that were important to our family and to me, um, what was the fact that when I was six, seven years old, I could go to the movie theater, for, you know, with uh, a candy bar and a Coke for 25 cents. And today, to do the same thing would cost you on the low side $25. Right. Well, that's a hundred times more. Am I right? Hundred yep. times? Yeah, a hundred times more. Um, so we're talking 60 years later. <laughs> now, I'm 66, so, uh, you know, 58 years later. <laughs> <laughs> A hundred times more. What do you call that? Oh, that's inflation. That's exactly right. And you know, that is one of the biggest bugaboos about uh, and issues uh, for our country. As it, and, it, and it has always been that way and will always be that way. Um, and so it's a factor, a big factor in, in uh, the... Uh, uh, trying to have your financial affairs in order. Uh, it also is a big factor in retirement. You, you know, um, people are living longer today, uh, a lot longer. You know, when, and that's another factor that you have to look at is life expectancies are much, much longer than they were. You know, when Social Security was started, you know what the life expectancy was for men and women? I'm I'm just giving you under 70. Wow. (laughs) Okay. In other words, it was 60s. And so when Social Security was first factored um, and they were talking about contributing and all this stuff, retirement for a lot of folks was not that, many years so today you you know be living on a fixed income when you have a life expectancy from retirement of in the neighborhood of 20 plus years is a whole lot more difficult from and from a financial perspective than when life expectancies were about 10 years from retirement 
Wouldn't you say that's a problem? Yeah, that's a big problem. <laughs> well, okay. So uh, why is why is that important? Uh, well, uh, it's really important because what are your expectations for Social Security in the future? Do you think they'll cut Social Security for folks? Just just a guess. I think they're going to have to. No, I disagree. I, I don't think they will. No, no, okay. I don't. I don't think Social Security will be cut. I think that would, and the reason is real simple. Politically, it's impossible. Where are most of the votes in this country? Among seniors, right? If, and the seniors are also the most likely to vote. So, do you think that seniors are going to be happy with uh, a legislator or congressman who is trying to cut their financial throats? You make a good point. I don't think so. But so what's the alternative? The alternative is that they will not cut the payment, but they will cut the growth. In other words, they will maybe cut out – in fact, they already have – uh, changed the index for in you know cost of living increases. A lot of folks don't realize that, but that, why'd they do that? To lower the overall cost of the program over time. And they probably will do it again, and they may cut out the indexing altogether in the future. As fewer as more and more baby boomers get older and retire, and there are fewer workers to support them, then there's fewer people putting money into the system to pay uh, what, um, you know, what has been promised. Now, I don't think Social Security will ever go broke. You know, the federal government has, a, has, a, has huge borrowing power, which they've never failed to exercise <laughs> in order to pay its obligations. And, and the bottom line is, is that there are an awful lot of folks who unfortunately, and this is sad because the program was never designed for it, but there are an awful lot of folks who are actually living solely on their Social Security because they don't have any other source of income. Uh, And they're living longer than ever. So these are asset protection issues that we really need to talk about in depth, and that's what I want to do when we come back. We will do just that. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. I want to remind you that you can always find information about Bill and maybe set up an appointment to speak with him by going to WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. And Bill, we're uh, talking all about asset protection, as the show would suggest. And uh, we were discussing uh, the uh, problematic issues that Social Security has with, uh, uh, with funding. Well, it's not uh, Social Security so much. It's inflation and what True. it does. And a lot of seniors in the last uh, few years have, have seen this related to two things that are very important to seniors. So what's that? Social Security and Medicare, you know. Now, you're not old enough to appreciate this, but the Medicare Part B premium comes out of your Social Security check. 
You know, in other words, you're, you're entitled to so much Social Security, but the government does, in order to get paid, deduct the Medicare Part B premium, which is required. In other words, you can't be a senior uh, without health insurance. So you either have to be still working and on an employer plan that qualifies or you have to be on Medicare. You don't have a choice whether you want it or not. (laughs) Okay. And so uh, now what's happened in the last few years? Well, people, even though there's a cost of living increase every year, people have not seen an increase in their social security check. Why is that? Uh, inflation? Well, in, it's called medical inflation. Okay. In other words, the Medicare premium has gone up more than their Social Security check. Now, the check is grandfathered so that, in essence, even though Medicare premiums go up more than the cost of living increase, your check stays the same. In other words, the government decided not to decrease what you were receiving because obviously that would be politically incorrect and very difficult. So in essence, but the folks, I think this past year, the increase was actually a little more than the Medicare premium increase. Um, Now, truthfully, politically, that was mostly because of some of the cost savings in the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Whether you like it or not, there's good and bad to it. And some of the some of the good parts is that there were some cost savings involved. And so uh, what came to fruition was the fact that it took a few years, but there then cost savings started to add up. And that, in essence, made the increase a lot less. So for the first time in a number of years, uh, uh, people uh, actually were entitled to an increase. However, um, even though there was an increase over Medicare, a lot of folks still didn't get an increase because they had to make up for those increases in the past where they were grandfathered. So pretty sad So a lot of seniors haven't really seen an increase in their dollars from Social Security for a number of years because of that. Well, that's really a fixed income when you think about that. So from an inflation perspective, Jason, what happens to uh, how much that dollar will pay for each year? It goes down. Right. So the bottom line is even though the dollars – that received are constant, the purchasing power of those dollars is reduced each year. And that's the problem with fixed incomes, (laughs) you know, because each year it's less and less and less and less. Well, over 60 years, at least based on where I started from as a youngster and where we are today, if you just look at the movie theaters as a gauge, that's pretty scary, isn't it? But, I mean, cost of gasoline, when I was – I mean, when I was really young, the cost of a gallon of gasoline was about 15, 10 to 15 cents a gallon. When I was in college, it was 25 cents a gallon. Well, what's happened to the cost of gasoline? <laughs> <laughs> Through the roof. Well, college was a long time ago for me, uh, but it's um, – 
it's 10 to 15 times higher than it it was back in those years. So that's not quite as bad as the movie theater, but it still tells you what's happening to purchasing power. And then you have certain things like health care and college tuition costs that typically uh, the inflation rate for that is higher than the normal inflation rate rate for goods and services and food and, and and the like. So you've got all of that stuff factored in to what it's doing to your purchasing power. So the the bottom line is now what it also means this, uh, and you may know the answer to this, Jason. But if you have invested your money uh, in bank CDs in the last 10 years, how much interest do you think people have been earning on money market accounts and CD accounts and, and uh, um, you know, treasury bonds and things like that? Not a whole lot. Well, what do you think? How much? Uh, 3% maybe? How much? Oh, no. Oh, I, I offended you, Bill. Well, you have. You're not, you're not keeping up. I mean, you can't get that today. What do you think you could get a few years ago? Yeah, I can get this right. I mean, you're looking – a lot of folks were looking at 1% mm-hmm. or less, 1.5%. There was a, a time when bonds were 0%. In other words, they were just holding your money and giving it back to you. <laughs> so what I'm what I'm really getting at is does that keep up with inflation? Answer? No. That's that's the problem. So now from a financial perspective, um money markets and CDs and bonds are fixed income. Are they safe? They're safe. Uh, yes, they are. That's why people like them. Okay, they're safe. That you know you're going to get your money back. You know, at the bank you have FDIC insurance for two hundred fifty thousand dollars per account, uh, and then you have government bonds that are backed by the full faith and credit of the uh, United States government, which most people think is secure, uh, <laughs> and it and it it's more secure than anything else if you get right down to it. But then. Um, you know, is the United States government credit worthy? You know, at times I don't think so, but that's a different issue. Um, okay. Um, so what's a senior to do if um, they're worried about the, the cost of living increases? In other words, they're on a fixed income. Uh well, the bottom line is this, is that uh, money markets and CD, as safe as they are, uh, basically um, doesn't work for a lot of seniors if uh, they're concerned about their purchasing power. Um, so seniors are in a conundrum because they've, uh, they, you know, they've gotten burned in the markets um, and tend to get burned a couple times every decade uh, because of market drops, uh, those kind of things. So, and so it's very, very difficult for seniors to be able to invest um, in a way that um, that covers inflation and does a little bit better than inflation without taking a whole lot of risk. Now, 
then there's another huge risk factor for seniors that has to be taken into consideration besides inflation risk. Uh, and actually, when you're talking about inflation, it's not risk. It's there. I mean, you get it every year whether you want it or not. <laughs> so in essence, every year the the purchasing power of your dollar goes down. So that's really not risk. It's It's a fact. All right. Now, there is another risk, and this is the sad part as far as I'm concerned, and this is the part where – 99 or 99 out of 100 financial advisors do not look at this at all except from one perspective, and that's long-term care risk. And long-term care risk is basically the risk of your having a long-term care crisis uh, for one or both spouses in a marriage uh, once you're a senior. And so you say, well, what, how much risk is there for that? Well, truthfully, if you reach the age of 65, and you know AARP considers you a senior at what age? That's 50, 55. 50. Oh, boy. Is that not sad? <laughs> That's insulting. Uh, I mean, I was really angry when I got my first AARP <laughs> letter uh, saying, please join, you're eligible now. And I was going... I don't feel like a senior at 50, and I, and I still don't. But at what I'm getting at is <laughs> the, the, the fact uh, that if you reach the statistics, conservative cons- statistics show us that if you reach the age of 65 and you're still healthy, you have a 50% chance of having a long-term care crisis And when I mean that, I mean a 50% chance of needing a nursing home during your lifetime with the average stay being three years plus. So how much does nursing home cost today, not figuring inflation? What do you think per month? Oh, boy, I think you've thrown out a figure of around six or 7,000 a month. Well, you're, yeah, exactly. In this area, it is above 7000 The average yeah. is above $7,000 per month. And there are very, very few families that have that kind of income to where they really don't have to worry about the cost of care in the event that they have a crisis. Okay. And so what do I mean when I say that financial advisors don't look at that? Well, first of all, they're not taught to look at it. Uh, You can be a certified financial planner and know nothing about how to get uh, financial assistance if you have a long-term care crisis. uh, I mean, there are so many myths that the industry pushes, uh, unfortunately, uh, that it's really sad. And the biggest myth is that you have to be dirt poor in order to get Medicaid or special assistance or VA benefits. And, of course, that's what our seminar is all about. And, I'm, I mean, as much as I like to promote our seminars, that's what it's about. And it's also the fact that you can't get reliable information without going to someone who deals with it every day. And financial advisors don't and that what they know typically is very limited. And so most of the time, they're going to get it wrong. In fact, it's rare when they get it right. So people have to educate themselves. But 
uh, so yes, our seminars can be extremely helpful for folks who are, if they're in the crisis, they really need to come badly. And if they're not in crisis, they need to come to be educated so that if and when a loved one uh, has the issue, that they can be better prepared to deal with it. But the, the bottom line is this is a conundrum for seniors because they're worried about not running out of money during their lifetime, knowing that their life expectancies are longer than ever and growing. Um, so it, it, now, if you figure that there's a possibility that you'll have to pay out $7,000 plus, not considering inflation, for three years, uh, how much is that? Oh, boy, you're talking uh, close to $300,000 almost. Well, 7000 times 12 is $84,000 mm-hmm. times three. <laughs> so you're over two fifty. dollars Yeah. Um, uh, so, and that's, that's the point I'm trying to make is the fact that, uh, and I've said for years that uh, a long-term care crisis is like, your house burning down with everything in it being totally uninsured. So it, it is something that's very real. And I've got some other tragic news. Uh-oh. The ladies out there, you're at a higher risk than the men out there. Uh, now, the men aren't in great shape. Our risk is truly 50%. But the women's risk is even higher. Now, what's the financial industry's solution to your long-term care risk? Do you know what it is? I do not. They only have one solution, buy long-term care insurance. That's it. Or have enough money to pay for it out of pocket. Now, if you realize that there are almost – there are very, very few people, few families as a percentage that can pay for it out of pocket, truthfully. I mean, there are a lot of good people who can, but there also there's a much greater number of folks who have no way that they can do that. And here's the sad news. Even people who want to buy long-term care insurance, there are two problems. Do you know what they are? Uh, one, can't afford it. That's a biggie. Yeah. And two, it may not even be available to them. <laughs> well, that's the other one. You're exactly right. So you listen, to, you know, Jason, I'm proud of you. But the bottom line <laughs> is that there are an awful lot of folks that um, are uninsurable. And, it, it, and it's because as we get older, our bodies don't work as well. And sometimes we get little surprises and we're going, uh-oh, you know, it might be that you're – it could be anything from uh, diabetes, being overweight. It could be having bad knees. It could be because you've had a cancer scare or, um, you know, a, a, cardi- um, a cardiovascular issue where you've had stents put in or you've, you've uh, had a heart attack or a stroke or anything. I mean, truthfully, the companies are very reluctant to insure anyone that's not really, really healthy. And the other issue is people who are healthy and think and and, and they're they're younger. You know, you're talking about people in their 40s and early 50s, and most people don't even think about long-term care insurance until their late 50s. Um, and guess what? For a lot of folks, late 50s too late. And to get long-term care insurance because at that point, even if they're healthy and insurable, 
it's expensive. And here's the other conundrum for long-term care insurance. It's not whether you can afford the insurance premium when you are working. It's can you afford it after you retire on whatever money that you've saved and or the income stream that you can expect. Can you afford those premiums in retirement? You know, there's little reason to buy long-term care insurance uh, for your working years because when does when do the great majority of people need long-term care? Well, after they retire. After they retire, exactly. So the bottom line is you got to pay those premiums until the crisis actually comes. Now, there was a time, and I have to say I was lucky enough to get it, there was a time years ago where you could buy long-term care insurance um, where you could pay for it within a definite period of time. Um, and for me, I could pay all of my premiums over a period of 10 years, and then my, my policy was paid up with no additional premiums. Well, you can't get that kind of policy anymore. So what I did, obviously, was I purchased it recognizing that I would pay for it during my working years uh, and so that I wouldn't have to worry about those premiums after I retired. Well, you cannot buy a policy like that anymore. So you have to factor in the cost of the premiums after you retire. And again, that makes it doubly difficult for families to be able to do that. Well, I know we have to take a break. So I want to talk about some solution sets and some other things that people need to think about doing for their family. We'll do just that. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're talking all about asset protection. That's the name of the show. Well, let's keep going. I mean, families have changed a lot since I was a youngster. Uh, you know, back then, uh, truthfully, families, you might have three, sometimes four generations living in the same home. People didn't move away. But hey, your parents lived in Florida, right? And here you are in North Carolina. That's not uncommon today. Kids can go anywhere globally, and so the parents do not necessarily have a support mechanism for themselves. So they have to look after themselves. Very different from the way it used to be. Maybe it's coming back to the old way a little bit, but not enough. So what are the solutions? Well, it's financial. Bottom line is, in some cases, the children who are now adults making good money need to factor in how can I help support my parents who live three states away. And that might be uh, helping them pay for long-term care premiums because they can't afford to do so now that they're retired. For those parents and grandparents who are well-to-do, it might be to help their children who are in their mid-years or younger, go ahead and buy a long-term care policy so it will be there for them. Because the younger you get it, the less expensive it is, and it's the more likely that they can pay for it themselves uh, when they retire. Because if you get it for somebody who's in their 40s, say, it's very, very inexpensive by comparison. And so it's 
one generation can help the other because you're not living close together anymore. Yeah. And, and that's a really important concept that most families don't think about, but it's so important. That's, that's very true, very true. And again, that's something that you need to take into account because, as you said, the likelihood of that happening after you turn 65 jumps up considerably. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we've uh, hit a variety of topics and we're uh, wrapping up our discussion here on long term care. Well, one, one of the biggest concerns I have is not for my generation, but for your generation and the generation after you. Uh, and it really comes down is there a solution set? And unfortunately, I don't have enough time to talk about it. But it's something that I do recommend to a lot of uh, my well-to-do clients to uh, do some financial planning for grandchildren when they're born. Because the bottom line is you can do some things that my biggest concern is not their ability to go to college, but their ability to retire. It's far more difficult today to earn a good living than it was when I was out of college. It's a lot harder on your generation. And on the next generation, they've got other issues to deal with that will make it even more difficult for them. So there is there are some things that can be done by those who can afford to do it and should be done, but very, very few people do it. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to reserve that for the next show. But I think it's so important to figure in what is inflation doing? What can we do to really help our family in a big way? And it, it has to do with putting some things in place for them financially that will be meaningful to them. And most people don't do it. They look at paying, helping pay for college, but they don't look at some of the bigger things that might be even be more important to them. Yeah. And as we've discussed today, the world is changing. And with that, the problems and uh, the issues change as well. So getting ahead of that financially is not bad advice. We'll be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Want to remind you that Bill has a free seminar, three free seminars available to you this Wednesday, August 8th. You can do that at Independence Village of Raleigh, and we encourage you to register online or give the office a call. You can go online to WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com, or you can call the office at 919 919- Two five six seven thousand nine one nine two five six seven thousand and Bill, this is uh, a unique and free way for folks to get uh, valuable information when it comes to dealing with long term care and uh, Medicaid assistance and VA benefits. It's just a wealth of knowledge that people can get. No question. And for seniors or for families that have seniors that they're caring for, it's probably some of the most important information that they can actually gain by coming. 
Yeah, it's it's incredibly helpful. And I, again, I want to encourage you, if you have any need or if you know of a family member that has a need, head on over to WGALaw.com. You can register for free there or you can call the office at 919-256-7000. We got to get out of here. We're out of time for today and we hope you'll join us again next week every saturday at 11 it's asset protection today with attorney bill alexander on news radio 680 wptf have a great weekend